Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, where I'm feeling much better. I think my voice is basically back to normal. I don't believe I had COVID. I was tested many times, and each test came back negative, so I'm not really sure what it was, but you know, we should all remember there are other things you can catch in the world besides the world's most popular disease or should I say least popular disease. But anyway, um, thank you for those of you who reached out um, and made jokes about my froggy voice last time out. And especially thank you for uh, all the well wishes and all of that. You know, I love you guys. And I look forward to bringing you a podcast each and every week. Been getting some good feedback on some recent episodes. Uh, I got quite a few emails and tweets at Clayton Comic. That's my Twitter, at Clayton Comic. I got a lot of feedback about my Ace-9 in uh, day two of the WSOP $1,500 shootout event that I discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago. You may recall that my opponent, I blocked everything. I had Ace-9 and I blocked everything on uh, a crazy board of 10-8-8-deuce-jack where everything got there and I had Ace-9 offsuit with the right suits to block this and that and the other. And somehow my opponent made the hero call on my pretty big river bet with just pocket fives. Uh, It seems that most of you are in agreement with the way that I played that hand, including checking the flop, hoping to check raise it. So it was kind of nice to get some validation (laughs) from the TPE community about a hand that was a pretty big one in that event. Who knows if I could have won that pot, maybe I'd have uh, an above average stack with like five players left and maybe I can go on to uh, beat the remaining opponents and make my first final table. But note that Brazilian guy managed to find the call button on me and uh, after that I was pretty well crippled and unable to uh, get back into contention for that particular bracelet. But yeah, um, of course, I'm getting excited already for uh, the new year, and um, I appreciate all of our listeners, and especially appreciate when you guys leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you leave a five-star review, you would not believe how much that can do for us in terms of getting this podcast up the ranks. And I never thought I'd live to see the day when there were this many poker podcasts in existence. Now, many of them don't come out every single week like this one does. Uh, Some of them focus more on gossip and silliness instead of actual strategy. Uh, But yeah, the the space is crowded to be sure. So if you really like what we're doing here at TPE, and particularly as it pertains to this podcast, the best thing you can do to help the cause is to get over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a great review. You don't have to put a lot of words. The main thing is the five stars, and that really helps us uh, continue to bring you this content week in and week out. All right, I want to focus now on uh, the time of year, right? So it's 
2022, happy new year to each and every one of you. I hope that your year is off to a great start. One thing I like to do at the beginning of each year is take a look at my poker progress. And I don't believe in resolutions per se, but if you've been listening for any number of years, you know that I do always set goals for the year. Now, what I want to do today, which I think a lot of people who set goals and make resolutions never ever do, is I want to see how I did with my 2021 goals. So last January, if you remember, we were pretty much on lockdown here in New York. All businesses were, all non-essential businesses, I should say, were closed, and that includes comedy clubs. For some reason, government officials think that comedy clubs are non-essential businesses. So uh, I have a problem with that characterization, but that's another story. As a result, I was pretty much unable to do my regular job of performing stand-up comedy to the delight of New Yorkers and those who visit our town. Uh, So I was basically setting big goals to play so much online poker. Now, look at this goal for 2021. I said on this podcast one year ago that I would play 2,000 online poker tournaments. Now, to some of you, that's, that's nothing. You might be able to do that in a couple of months. Uh, For me, that would be an absolute record-breaking year. I've never, even when I was playing a lot of online poker in the early days of party poker and my personal favorite, cake poker, that I used to be on quite often, I'm sure there was never a year when I hit 2,000 tournaments. That would be a very large number for me. So it was a fairly lofty goal, and I'm not so sorry to say I did not reach it. I ended up playing in 1,580 tournaments, which I think is still at or near a record high for me in one year. Uh, Many of those tournaments were played on WSOP.com. So uh, that is just across the the river from me in good old New Jersey, the Garden State, where online poker is legal. Now, it was announced this week that sports betting is now legal in New York State, but still no word on poker. So poker has been relegated to the back burner while sports betting is front and center. So I wonder what lobbyists might be responsible for this change. And I think it may have something to do with those multi-billion dollar leagues that are behind all of the sports that people are betting on. So if only there were an NFL for poker, we probably would have been legal a long time ago as well. But I digress. I did play quite a few tournaments in nearby New Jersey. Some of you know I would occasionally get a hotel or stay with my cousin. Just find a way to get across the river during the pandemic. And as a result, I ended up playing quite a bit on WSOP.com and a little bit on Party Poker New Jersey. Um, But then, of course, most of the tournaments I played in New York were on America's Card Room, ACR, where uh, it's been pretty well documented on this podcast that I had a certain amount of success. So the stats are, I played 1,580 tournaments. I cashed in 201 of them, which is a little low for me. It's about 14%. And my lifetime cash rate is a little bit bigger than that. It's closer to 17%. So my cash rate was uh, slightly down 
I mean, I mean that's fairly substantial. But of those 201 caches, 106 of them I finished in the top 3% overall of those tournaments. So more than half of my caches were very deep runs. So I'm pretty proud of that. And it's uh, a kind of an indicator of my playing style, I think. As you guys know, a big part of my game is being aggressive on the money bubble and the final table bubble and you know, maybe taking some risks that most players would not take and that most coaches would not recommend and that no solver would ever <laughs> advise. Um, but that is just what happens to me when I'm in the uh, inflection point, the uh, high pressure moment of a tournament. That's when I really put the pedal to the metal and put people to the test because we all hate bubbling. So as a result, many times once I get into the money, I am the chip leader or a chip leader which of course results in a higher number than you might expect of top 3% finishes. Now I didn't pick that 3% number out of, out of any attempt to try to you know, finagle these numbers or make my numbers look or feel better than they otherwise would have. I just decided that 3% would be uh, obviously a great finish in any tournament. If you can manage to finish in the top 3%, you will be happy with your payout, or at least I will. I know some of you are only happy when you win first place. Uh, I'm pretty happy anytime I get into the top 3% of any tournament online or live. So of those 106 top 3% finishes, we had six first place finishes. And here's the big one, 88 bubbles. So uh, my bubble abuse was less effective than usual. I had... 201 caches and 88 bubbles, which uh, that's a pretty high number. Uh, I played 1,580 tournaments. 88 bubbles is a lot, even for me. It means that my bubble abuse didn't work out. Maybe people were on to me and they just called me lighter. Uh, maybe I ran into a bunch of hands around the bubble, which does happen uh, some amount of the time. Uh, maybe players are just getting stickier even when things seem uh, set up for them to, to fold. Uh, now, just to be clear, when I say bubble, I mean I was within 1% of the money and I ended up not cashing in the tournament. So it's not purely like the actual bubble boy per se, but when you're really, really close to the money and you bust out, I call that a bubble, even if you know, you're 10 off the money or 12 off the money, I'd call it a bubble for our purposes here because the fact is, that's the time in the tournament when I tend to go crazy. So going crazy was not as effective of a strategy this year as it has been in years past. And the numbers reflect that. Even if half of those bubbles had turned into caches, uh, then my cash rate for the year would have been a little bit closer to uh, my overall career lifetime average. So I find these numbers interesting. They tell us a lot about what happened this year and why. Uh, another goal that I set for 2021 was to spend 150 hours studying. Now, how do I define studying? It's either paying attention only to a TPE video or reading a book uh, about poker, like maybe Play Optimal Poker by Andrew Brokus, one that I highly recommend uh, among others. Um, yeah, just really putting your nose to the to the grindstone and really trying to improve your game while not being distracted by 
anything on television or looking at other tabs on my computer or anything like that where it's just pure mental focus on trying to become a better poker player through study and the goal was 150 hours i did not reach my goal but i did spend 99 hours studying so i'm pretty happy with that number i mean obviously it's good to hit your goals but i think i set really high goals i mean especially because at some point during 2021 Bars and clubs and comedy clubs opened again, and I actually went back to work. So uh, had we been in a full lockdown the entire year, which I'm really glad we weren't, but one silver lining to that hypothetical black cloud would have been, I almost assuredly would have hit all of these numbers because I wouldn't be so distracted by that tawdry other career of mine. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I'm glad that we got back to work, but it caused me to miss these numbers because I think this time last year I was fully prepared for another year of lockdown here in New York. Uh, We are not even locked down right now, by the way, for those who are wondering. Uh, I'm sure you've read the news and about how the the latest version of the coronavirus, the Omicron variant, is surging and, and everybody's worried about that. A lot of kids are missing school. A lot of people are missing work, yada, yada, yada. Bars and clubs, restaurants, and everything else open, at least for now, in New York. But the rules are you must show proof of vaccination. So if you played in the World Series of Poker, you should also be able to come and see me perform my little comedy skits at the clubs here in the city. All right, so there was one more goal that I had set for myself in 2021, which was paying off less. Uh, And specifically, the goal was when I know that somebody is not the type to bluff on the river, then I just won't won't pay off. Uh, So I can't give myself an A. I'm going to just I'm not really sure exactly how many times I did this. But thinking back on the year and some of the big pots that I played and some of the key river decisions I made, whether it was during the World Series of Poker or the Venom PKO on ACR or wherever else. I ended up having river decisions. Uh, There were several times when a player that is on the nittier side, the tighter type of player, uh, either bet or raised or check raised, and I ended up calling. So that is still a hole in my game that, honestly, if I spent all of 2022 literally never paying off any of those type of bets from those type of players, I'd probably come out ahead. Even though, of course, some percentage of the time I would end up folding the winner, I think that I'm losing so much by making those bad calls. Uh, One example was where I had made a straight with the flush card um, in, I think it was, the $600 Deep Stack Championship bracelet event um, in October. I believe that was the event. But the player who check-raised me is just like never doing that with a straight like we don't have the same hand he's hardly ever maybe never bluffing and i paid it off because it was a very small check raise i believe i had bet 5800 and he said 12000 or something so basically just a little more than a min raise on me and i probably could have saved that extra 6200 yeah it's something i need to work on for sure but you know i'm not talking about all rivers and all check raises and all opponents. 
I mean, when it's a guy that you really haven't seen him get out of line once, and now all of a sudden he's check-raising on the river, honestly, that's probably not a bluff. And the chances of it being a bluff are usually not worth the price that you're getting to find out the bad news the hard way. So I think I'm going to recommit to that goal this year. But for last year, I'm going to give myself a B- minus in that category because I think I did improve in that area, but I didn't improve as much as I would have liked to. Now, I realize this makes me exploitable, and if someone wants to establish a super nitty image early in the tournament and play with me for three hours without getting out of line once, just to set up an exploitable <laughs> river, river play that I'm going to make the wrong decision, you know what? You deserve the money. You deserve that whole pot. So if, if, you can, if you're trying to play the long game against Clayton, uh, you're going to win. So all you have to do is fold for three hours and then bluff me once and you'll get the money. Okay, enough about 2021. Let's talk about 2022. And I want you guys to share your version of this. Do you make resolutions? Do you, do you look at the new year as a clean slate? I always like, like to wipe the slate clean. You know, 2021 was a pretty good year poker-wise, although the World Series was notably bad. I still ended up you know, slightly profitable for the year. It was a decent year. Not the best I ever had by any stretch. But considering how poorly the World Series went, I was happy to eke out a profit overall for the year. But one thing I always say, and I think this is so important, you can't control the results. All you can do is play your best. And I've said this before. I think that I played pretty well in uh, this year's World Series. I just didn't catch the breaks. You know, there comes a time... In most tournaments where you just need to win the coin flip and you know I did poorly on coin flips overall I think I had nine of them and I only won two uh, of the big ones I mean um, I also had uh, you know just a lot of spots where I made good plays that didn't work like the ace nine hand we talked about um, that was a good example of things that seem to happen more often than they normally would this year uh, I certainly had more than my share of coolers at one point, I flopped top and bottom pair against top two pair, and that was a big hand and a big spot in a, in where it was my big stack against another big stack. So these things happen, and when everything is kind of set up that way, of course, I don't mean set up, but that's just the way things shake out once in a while, uh, you know, you are not going to have your usual results. And, you know, the, the point of complaining about it is not to say, oh, woe is me. Because I think I've had more than my share of good luck in tournaments, particularly the main event over the years. So uh, I'm just saying like this is part of when you look at the numbers and you try to understand looking back uh, what exactly went right, what didn't. I think it's important to be realistic about your results. At the same time, you can't control those results. So what I like to focus on are concrete, achievable goals and I like to set them a little bit high. You don't want to make your goals too easy to achieve, but you also don't want to say, you know, I'm going to spend 4,000 hours uh, studying this year because you're, you, you're just not going to. Almost nobody is going to study that much. I mean, how many hours do you really have um, to dedicate to studying? So let me know how you guys approach this. I like to set those goals for the year and I try to keep an eye on those goals throughout the year. Um, so, 2022, I want to play 1,000 online poker tournaments and 100 live poker tournaments. So, 100 live is 
a lot. I mean, that's that's an awful lot for me. But I'm going to count smaller things like uh, a daily tournament here or there, a sit and go here and there. So if I include all live tournaments, I think 100 is certainly doable. I mean, I usually play about 30 events in the WSOP and I expect to do that again this year. But one year I, I played, I think 85 sit and goes <laughs> in one year and I didn't really play that many bracelet events that year. I was really focused on trying to crush those sit and goes. Now players were much worse at them than they are now, but yeah, I mean, I, that was used to be a pretty viable way to spend the summer. So we're looking at 100 of those and 1,000 online. So I think that that is a tough goal, but something that I can probably manage to do. I want to do 100 hours of poker study this year. And with everything being open, that will be harder to reach than the 99 that I got last year during a, a lockdown. So we'll see uh, how that goes. And another goal that I think many of you will be happy to hear is that I would like to put out 48 episodes of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. You guys would not believe how much doing this podcast does for me. It forces me to focus on poker, to think critically about not only my decisions, but those of our guests. And I don't want to miss any weeks that I don't have to miss. I'm going to say 48 just because... Of course, I'm going to take a week here or there. Maybe we won't have an episode that week. Or maybe KB and Mark will come back and kick it old school or something like that. But I think 48 is an achievable goal and one that I want to reach in 2022. Okay, for this week's strategy segment, I'd like to talk about a hand that I played on day one of the main event just a couple of months ago in November of 2021. This hand is fresh in my mind and uh, one that I thought about quite a bit. I'm looking forward to getting your feedback on it. Uh, this comes from the 200, 400, 400 level. Now we started this year with 60,000 in chips and I had run my stack up to almost 100,000 early on. I mean, I absolutely ran like God for the first two levels of the main event this year. I flopped several sets. Uh, I remember flopping a straight with ace-10 offsuit, which isn't easy to do. Um, and, you know, of course, getting paid on each one. So that's how you take a huge stack and increase it by 60% in just a few levels. So, yeah, things were going great. Um, and so at 200, 400, 400, I raised on the button to 900, holding the king of hearts, jack of spades. So we have king jack offsuit, and we make it 900. Uh, the small blind, now I'm on the button, the small blind on my immediate left was a very aggressive, um, larger guy. Looks like he works out a lot, probably in his mid-30s. Um, not a, a rude person, but definitely... Uh, a bit of a, of a tough talker. Um, what I mean is, for example, there was a hand where somebody had uh, called his three bet and uh, somehow had a, a deuce in his hand and the flop came with two deuces and this guy lost a small pot and then he said, oh, good to know you can call my three bet with a deuce. Something like that. So, you know, sometimes you get people kind of taking things personally personally 
And so he had a little bit of that like machismo to him, if you will. Um, but I, I'm not saying that he was a rude guy. Like I didn't not enjoy sitting with him, but I'm just trying to give you a sense of the, the personality type. Um, he seems like he would like to be table captain. And uh, I've been mostly just seeking value. I haven't really been bluffing a lot. On day one of the main event, it's usually not a good risk to reward ratio to try to bluff everybody. It's better, I think, to just try to survive that first day if you can, look for value. Um, so yeah, I was making hands and betting them. And many times I didn't show what I had. So although I was playing a pretty tight value-based style, it may have looked like I was trying to run the table over. So that factors into some of my decision-making. Just being aware of your own image, I think is pretty important. So anyway, uh, he three bets from the small blind and he makes it 3,200. Now the big blind folds, so the action is on me. And uh, this is a you know decent sized three bet here. I think if you want to fold, I don't mind because you might be dominated. I mean, he should be making this play with ace-king, aces, maybe king-queen suited sometimes. Um, you know, and some of those hands do have us pretty well crushed and we could end up losing a very large pot if we end up flopping top pair and we're out kicked. So uh, they used to call king jack and king 10 trap hands because they kind of look pretty, but they don't do that great in really big pots. So if you decide that, you know, this big three bet, even from this player that I described is enough to get you to, to shrivel and fold I don't mind. I really don't. I think that is a perfectly viable play. Uh, likewise, I think that calling is okay. Um, it's just, you know, you're going to be in position. You've got a medium strength, kind of middling strength, marginal hand. Uh, he's now got the lead before the flop. So if you miss the flop, you're usually going to end up folding on the flop when you don't hit a king or a jack. Um, but I still think that calling because we're in position is okay because you could maybe find some floats where maybe it comes 10 high and he bets pretty small. You can float that and see if you pick up any equity on the turn with a, a lot of cards. When there's a 10 high flop and you have King Jack, there are a lot of cards that can you know, give you equity in terms of uh, making a straight draw. Plus, you could still hit a King or a Jack, which might end up being good too. So that is fine. But I decided to go for the four bet here. And the reason why is because number one, I think that he will be light a lot more often than the average opponent. So in other words, I think that there's a, a good chance that this is a three bet bluff with a hand like, I don't know, maybe like ace five or something, you know, off suit even. I think that he would be uh, reluctant to fold any decent looking hand from his small blind, especially if he thinks, as I suspect he might, that I have been a little bit overly aggressive and trying to run over the table. So he might be trying to assert his dominance over me. Now, along with that, he could very well be doing this purely for value with a hand like pocket aces or pocket queens, something like that. Now, I pick those two hands because we don't block them. Another reason why four betting I, I enjoy four betting with this hand some of the time is because you do block ace king and pocket kings and pocket jacks. Now, these are some of the hands that your opponent will have when he's not bluffing. So 
it becomes more likely that of his value, he's got more aces and queens than he's got ace-king, pocket jacks, king-king, hands like that that we do block. So because we block some of his value and because I think that he will often be getting out of line with a light three bet here, I decided to go ahead and put in a large four bet, not too large, but you know substantial enough that it's not a trivially easy call for him when he's got a marginal hand, and I make it 9,700. He tanks for a little bit and then calls. All right, so now we're going to be in position with a decent but not good hand against a loose, aggressive opponent who we think thinks that we've been getting out of line. So a lot of dynamics here, and let's see what happens on the flop. The flop comes ace of spades, five of hearts, deuce of clubs. Uh, remember, we have the uh, king jack offsuit. So we miss completely, and our opponent checks. Now, uh, I decided to put in, now there's about 20,000 in the middle. I decide to put in 6,000. And I think that this is a very reasonable bet size. This is a bet I would make if I flopped a set of aces, um, or maybe I would check that back, but I think I might actually bet it against this player. Um, I would certainly make this kind of bet with ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, and the other hands that uh, I might have four-bet, ace-five suited. Well, that has two pair now. That would be great. <laughs> so, yeah, I think betting 6,000 with all of my value makes sense. So therefore, I decided to make the same bet with my bluff so that I am balanced. Um, I took the lead before the flop, and I should have more aces in my range than my opponent has in his. Remember now, he called that big four bet with something, and I don't think that too much of that something has an ace. So uh, I expect this 6,000 to get it done a lot, uh, but he does call. And now I decide that I'm just going to be basically done with this hand. You know, I'm not going to keep trying to push him off. He's got something. Um, you know, the worst he could have is, I guess, like a weak ace that got sticky against my four bet, but that doesn't really make sense. Um, it's a rainbow flop, so he does not have a flush draw. Uh, but yeah, he's decided to call my 6000 and I feel like I've spent enough money trying to win this pot. So the uh, turn card comes the four of diamonds. So now we have Badugi board, ace, five, deuce, four, and opponent checks again. And as I mentioned, I'm done with the hand, so I checked behind as well. So the river comes the tray of spades, putting a straight on the board for the final board of ace, five, deuce, four, tray, and opponent checks again. Now, there's about 32,000 in the middle and I'm pretty sure I can check and chop this pot. I don't think that my opponent would check to me if he had a six or seven six, if that's in his three betting and then calling range. I'm not really sure it would be, but if he somehow has a six, I think that he would have put in a big bet on the river. So I feel like the door is now open for me to try to selfishly collect this entire pot for myself but I think it's going to take a pretty substantial bet to get that done. So ask yourself, is it worth it for us to try to represent that somehow we have a six or a seven high straight 
knowing that usually our opponent is going to call the bet and split the pot with us, right? That's probably what's going to happen at least 50 or 60% of the time, maybe more often than that. But you never know. The main event, people get scared. Now, I, this guy does have us barely covered. He's got us covered by about 10,000. Uh, so, yeah, we had close to 100,000. He had about 110, 115 to start the hand. So it's not a trivial amount uh, that he has to call just to chop the pot. So we decide to go for it here. We put in 26,000 chips and almost immediately, like within five seconds, opponent moves all in. Uh, I did not see that one coming, guys. I don't know how many of you did, but what are we supposed to do here? I mean, the first question is, uh, are we really going to bust out of the main event in level three <laughs> with a stupid king jack on a, on a five high straight board? Uh, is that really how we're going out, especially after the, uh, the World Series that we've already had? Now, I'm only half joking. I mean, look, you, you don't want to think about what else has happened leading up to this moment. But yeah, I mean, I have, I have to admit, I was down for the series, and I usually feel like the main event is my best chance to get back to even, or as in years past, much better than that. So uh, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have that thought in my head, but I try not to make decisions based on those types of thoughts. The real question becomes, how often does our opponent have a straight compared with how often we have to call to chop the pot? Um, I don't think he has a lot of sixes in his range. Maybe pocket sixes, um, possibly seven, six suited, but I'm not sure that hand would actually have called the four bet because again, the four bet was pretty substantial. Uh, I've been playing with this guy for, you know, this is towards the end of level three. So it's been about six hours. We've all been together. So I've kind of gotten to know his playing style a little bit. He's loose aggressive, but not absolutely crazy. Um, I'm trying to get a read on him and he's very still. He doesn't seem to be holding his breath. Uh, he seems like he's obviously very interested in the outcome of this hand. He'd like to know whether I'm going to call or not, but that could mean because he's got a six or it could mean because he now sees an opportunity to, to rebluff me and win this whole pot, which all I had to do was check, and I probably could have chopped it with him in the first place. So uh, I was really kicking myself under the table for having put myself into this situation. Basically, if I fold now, I'm going to have a starting stack and have lost all of that uh, equity I had built up in the first six hours of the tournament. But, you know, going back to starting stack isn't the end of the world, especially when the blinds are only 200, 400. Um, do I want to call and risk my main event life on the chance that this guy is re-bluffing me? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that paying off big river bets is something I'm trying to get away from, but I'm trying to get away from that versus uh, less creative, uh, less aggressive opponents and certainly not players like this one. These are the guys you need to be able to make these calls against, at least with some frequency. Um, overall, the pressure got to me and I folded and I hoped that whatever my opponent had, he would not turn it over. But of course, he was all too happy to show ace nine offsuit. So uh, I got totally outplayed in that hand and it's a hand that I've thought about about a million times since it happened. He said later he didn't think I had 
any sixes in my hand. He put me on pocket kings, pocket queens. Now that makes a lot of sense if I was wrong about my table image. If he really thought that I was playing a value-based, nitty, tight strategy, then of course he doesn't think I ever have a six in my hand. He thinks that my four bet is what it's supposed to be, a big pair or ace-king. Kind of a lot to think about uh, with this one. You know, I tried to push him off a chop and he pushed me off of pushing him off of a chop. Is <laughs> basically what it comes down to there. And I got, you know, brutally outplayed and it was a hand that cost me some sleep. Even though I ended up surviving day one, I ended up with uh, not that many chips by the end of the day. And I probably have some interesting hands from day two to share on the next episode of this podcast. And that'll do it for this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this hand and especially on your goals for 2022. Send those to twitter.com slash Clayton Comic at Clayton Comic on Twitter and let us know. And if you're still looking for a phenomenal training website where you can learn how to get better at poker tournament strategies, visit tournamentpokeredge.com and use the promo code podcast at checkout and you will save $10 off of your very first month at tournamentpokeredge.com. So for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun, oh.